Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you have done well without me. Uh, I have been uh, in Italy for the past 12 days. It was amazing. I now am back home. Bit jet lagged. Uh, didn't get in till uh, midnight last night. Just finished the Clay and Buck show. Headed up to New York on Thursday for the Sweet 16. I'll talk a bit about the Sweet 16 uh, and uh, and and that and more. But uh, I want to start off by thanking everybody at YouTube and to encourage you to like and subscribe. I appreciate all you guys. Italy was amazing. Never been to Italy in my entire life. Uh, we went to Florence, Rome, and Naples in that order. Spent the last of our vacation at Pompeii, which I've read and heard about my entire life. Uh, just simply an amazing trip. And uh, I had so much fun touring. As you guys know, I'm a big history nerd. So many different of uh, the uh, amazing historic scenes in, in Italy. I could have spent far more time there. Uh, but what I couldn't get past was this. And I just want to leave you guys here to think about something. I was born in 1979, April of 1979, so basically 1980. Uh, and obviously, it's 2023 now. So I've been around basically two generations. As I was walking around all of these incredible places, the Pantheon, the Sistine Chapel, uh, looking at Michelangelo's David, I couldn't help but think, what has been built by humans in my lifetime that people will be willing to go see hundreds of years from now? Things that were built in my lifetime, so roughly the last 40 years. I couldn't think of anything. And if I'm right about that, by and large, what does that tell us? Because as I walked through so many of these different churches and so many of these majestic, incredible architectural uh, events, uh, locations, I just couldn't stop thinking about the degree to which everyone poured their heart and soul into trying to create something that would last potentially forever. And yet... Uh, I can't think of anything that is similar today. Now, you can argue, oh, people are still going to be watching movies that were made in your lifetime hundreds of years from now. Maybe you can argue that the iPhone is kind of the modern-day version of, uh, of the, the incredible art, and we've just gone from art that is designed for the public to individual art, right? Because we now gaze reverently upon our phones more so than we would gaze reverently upon St. Peter's or St. Paul's or some extraordinary church. So maybe that's the argument. But 
it is really kind of interesting to think about. The other part of my trip to Italy that I found so uh, so amazing was using the Pantheon, for instance, as an example. It's a facility in ancient Rome that's been essentially used for 2,000 straight years. And what the idea that I couldn't get out of my head is how incredibly young America is as a country just within the context of that Pantheon location in general. I went to the Colosseum, got to see all the major sites. But I want to use the Pantheon for an example. If you randomly, Pantheon's been there for 2,000 years. If you randomly just picked a random date and time, there is a very strong chance that that date would be long before our country was even founded. Like a 90% chance. In other words, if I'm just saying, hey, let's throw a pen at the wall, let's randomly pick a date, 90% of the Pantheon's existence, it's now a church, initially was a pagan temple, 90% of the time that people have walked in there, then our country didn't even exist, basically. And put it another way, Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson could have walked into the Pantheon and it would have been almost 1,800 years old when they walked in. And again, it just kind of gives you a sense of how much of a pinprick in time the United States really is. It also further, I would say, elucidated and illuminated for me how brilliant the founding fathers were in using much of what they had learned from Greek and Roman history and why Western civilization indeed matters so much is everybody had a functional knowledge um, in order to try to craft our nation, which is the last, so far, best hope for humanity in terms of a government that is designed to create freedom. I bring all that up because I have time, which is rare, when I'm on the road like this, I don't necessarily not do media very often, but I had basically 12 straight days where I had the opportunity to sort of immerse myself in Italy. Amazing time with my wife, my three kids. But think about larger picture issues. And while you're over there, while I was over in Europe, I'm five or six hours ahead, and NCAA tournament's going on. I'll talk about that in a moment. But I go to bed, it's 11 or 12 o'clock in Italy, And when I wake up, I'm catching up on whatever the evening news was from the United States. And the news had come out that Trump says he expects to be arrested by New York City prosecutor Alvin Bragg in relation to what to me is clearly not a campaign finance-related violation. And let me explain. So I studied campaign finance law. I don't claim to be an expert in it. But as a general rule, the reason campaign finance laws exist is to keep individuals from profiting off of their own political campaigns. In other words, if I decided to run for an elective office and I raised $20 million and I spent millions of those dollars on personal expenditures, I would be using my office to raise money to directly enrich myself. And so much of campaign finance law is predicated on the idea of keeping an individual from being able to get wealthy from 
political office, right? The reason why I bring that up is the entire conceit of the Stormy Daniels argument that Trump paid $130,000 effectively for an NDA to prevent his relationship, to the extent it occurred, from going public with Stormy Daniels, the reason why he paid that money was the exact opposite of a campaign finance violation. Because most campaign finance violations are about you accruing more property by running for office. Trump is giving money away, right? $130,000 to Stormy Daniels to effectively buy her silence. Oh, by the way, it didn't buy her silence. She violated clearly the NDA, got to keep all of her money, and got to tell her story, which is the entire opposite of the purpose of an NDA, right? The reason why you would sign a non-disclosure agreement and pay for it is because you are paying for silence in some way, right? So Trump paid the NDA, and then Stormy Daniels went and violated the NDA, and Trump has argued, look, I was trying to maintain my legal obligations. He denies a relationship. This is not a serious crime. It's a misdemeanor that is trying to be tricked up into a felony by Alvin Bragg. And this is important because everybody out there, Washington Post puts democracy dies in darkness at the top of their newspaper, MSNBC, CNN, the New York Times, all of them claim that Trump was a direct threat to democracy, yet never in our history have we ever had a president or former president charged with a crime like this. And so Alvin Bragg is going to set a new precedent, and that is we're going to use, Alvin Bragg is a Democrat, he is an elected prosecutor, he is incentivized politically to charge Donald Trump with a crime, and we are now going to set the precedent that political parties don't just fight out nasty political battles against each other, but they now indict leading political figures from the other party and try to put them in jail entirely for partisan political purposes. And if you don't think that this precedent will lead to a banana republic era where one day Republicans are going to be in power and they will then charge Democrats and this will go on and on, round and round we go, such that our own justice system becomes a banana republic, then you don't understand the dangers that are afoot here. And Alvin Bragg or this, uh, this DA down in Atlanta or Merrick Garland, they have all, and Democrats in general, They have also significantly convinced themselves that we are dealing with Donald Trump as an existential threat to the United States, that they are willing to destroy democracy itself in an effort to go out and get Donald Trump. So this happens very often if you study history. And again, I'm a history nerd. You have to be very careful that you don't become that which you claim to hate, right? Democrats so convinced themselves that Donald Trump was a tremendous threat to American democracy 
that they have essentially created themselves everything they claimed that Trump would be. They have embraced authoritarian dictatorship tactics, an effort to silence all political opposition, in an effort to try to protect the country in their mind from Donald Trump. They have become everything that they claimed Trump would be. And if he is charged, then I believe this will become uh, the new trend, which is no one will trust the Justice Department. I said this when Mar-a-Lago was raided. I think Merrick Garland has fundamentally failed. Now, larger picture. Democrats are desperate to run against Donald Trump. And I think if he is charged with a crime, Trump will be, uh, will be strengthened politically. And if he is charged with a crime, I believe that it will become very difficult to beat Donald Trump in the Republican primary because I think a lot of people will rally around him. But simultaneously, it's important to understand the only way that Democrats think they can win with Joe Biden in 2024 is by running again against Donald Trump. Now, I don't think that's true. They also thought Democrats did in 2016, oh, Hillary's definitely going to beat Trump. That obviously didn't end up being true. But I think as you break all of this down and contemplate and think in a in, in, in sort of a larger picture than the moment for this instant, what are we setting the precedent of? It's going to become charging your political opponents. It's going to become commonplace as it is in many other countries around the world, which is a direct attack on democracy. I'm going to have a lot more thoughts on this. You can go listen to Clay and Buck. We talked about it extensively. Uh, but this is the beginning of a new era, unfortunately, in American politics where it's not only that you battle for political ideas, it's that you try to put your political opponents in prison and keep them there. Um, and I think that's where we're headed. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, much less serious story. Nick Saban took a shot. I believe, at Nate Oates yesterday as Alabama is underway with spring practice. Sweet 16, I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, But you've got Nick Saban and you've got uh, Nate Oates. Nate Oates came out effectively and said that Brandon Miller was in the wrong place at the wrong time uh, as it pertained to the murder of a 23-year-old mom that left a five-year-old boy without a mom. Uh, And the details come out, and later, Nate Oates, Alabama's basketball coach, had to walk back the fact that he said, wrong place, wrong time. Now, Nick Saban has come out last night and said, and again, I'm paraphrasing, essentially, there's never a time 
where the excuse, wrong place, wrong time, is justified. Now, I don't think this happened by accident. I think Nick Saban is taking a shot at the way that Nate Oates and the University of Alabama has handled this Brandon Miller incident. Nick Saban is incredibly intelligent, one of the most intelligent college coaches in America, and he regularly uses his public press conferences as an opportunity to send a message to his team and to the nation about all sorts of related issues. So I don't think that this is an accident. And if it is, then Nick Saban is not that smart because everybody on the planet, Alabama had to issue an official press release apologizing for Nate Oates saying this. Wrong place, wrong time. And so I think Nick Saban was taking a shot at Nate Oates and at the way Alabama has handled this situation. Now, he may walk it back. If he tries to walk it back, what I would find interesting about this is how much pushback does he get from the media? Because most media in Alabama is afraid of Nick Saban. Most of them won't ask him questions. They're afraid of losing their jobs, losing their access. But really, if Nick Saban tries to walk this back, then the follow-up should be, do you think that Nate Oates has handled the Brandon Miller situation perfectly? In other words, would you change anything if he were a football player? He probably won't be asked that at all. But I think what's happened here is Nick Saban is super focused tunnel vision on his own uh, on his own world, right? Football. I don't think there's any way he missed this. And I think he's recognized that Alabama now is starting to get so much national blowback over the way they handled Brandon Miller that it's now impacting his own football program. And I think Saban is trying to create some distance between Alabama basketball and Alabama football because he doesn't want his own disciplinary decisions to be seen within the context of the University of Alabama's treatment of Brandon Miller. Now, again, I've said for a month now that the University of Alabama president, in my opinion, bears the brunt of the blame here that there's no way Brandon Miller should be playing, right? Uh, 49 other states agree with me. Everybody at Auburn agrees with me. Uh, Even if you read the defense statement of Brandon Miller, his defense attorney, there is no statement in there that Brandon Miller didn't know there was a gun in the car. There is no statement in there that Brandon Miller didn't receive a text message telling him to bring a a gun. Uh, There's no defense that that didn't happen. So even by Brandon Miller's own defense attorney, we know that he knew there was a gun in the car and that uh, that we know that he got the text message to bring the gun. Moreover, a lot of these details don't make sense because Alabama fans keep saying, one, he didn't know the gun was in the car. His own defense attorney doesn't say that. They also say, well, uh, he didn't get the text message. He was driving. No, no. His own defense attorney doesn't say that, right? So Alabama fans are mostly arguing two things that Brandon Miller's own defense attorney won't say. Then they say, well, he was trying to go pick up his teammate. The only problem with that is there was already another car there. So again, all of this continues to make, as more details come out, Brandon Miller's decision-making here to take a loaded handgun to a murder scene, 
becomes even more indefensible. If you want a long-form discussion on this, uh, I talked about it uh, with the guys at the Next Round Live down in Birmingham uh, earlier uh, today in my weekly hit. But what's intriguing about all this in general is, to me, Nick Saban taking a clear attempt to distance himself from Nate Oates. Now, Saban may come back out in a few days. He may say, I didn't mean it. I think he clearly meant it. And he knows that whatever he says several days from now is not going to get anywhere near the attention. It's now been basically 24 hours. Nick Saban could easily come out and say, hey, actually, I think everything Nate Oates has done has been perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. Hasn't said it yet. Maybe he'll change his, maybe he'll put out some sort of statement later in this week but it'll get a fraction of the attention as he knew it would because Nick Saban is a smart guy who knows how to play the media. I I just refuse to believe that this was unintentional. If this wasn't unintentional, okay, then Nick Saban should fire a huge percentage of the communication team at the University of Alabama because how does no one come out to him and talk about him, uh, this decision, because again, it had to do with disciplining one of his players and say, hey, hey, coach, This is going to be seen in the context of Brandon Miller. You might want to be careful that you're prepared for any of these questions that might arise. Just crazy to me. Um, So uh, that's my thoughts on uh, Nick Saban and uh, and Nate Oates. Now, I am uh, headed up to the Sweet 16. Thursday uh, afternoon, I'm going to New York City. Going to go watch Tennessee play against FAU. Going to go watch Michigan State play uh, against Kansas State. So I will be up in New York. Can't wait to get up there. Looking forward to hanging out. Um, I would, This is an interesting experience. People said, why in the world did you go to Italy during the NCAA tournament? Well, I'll tell you. My kids, as well as my wife, who's finishing her law degree, all of them had the same spring break. I'm the only person in the Travis household right now not in school. Uh, my wife and all three boys had the same spring break. I've loved my jobs, but one of the challenges I have had as a parent is spring break almost always corresponds with the NCAA tournament. So uh, usually I'm working, and so I can't really travel for spring break because the NCAA tournament's going on. Uh, you got to do your sports talk radio show, got to do my gambling show, um, always, right? So I decided I wanted to travel because I've got a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and an 8-year-old. I don't know how many more times I'm going to be able to take family vacations because my boys are starting to get older. They got sports. They got school obligations. They're getting to be teenagers. They all have their own lives, and they're not that interested, as teenagers are, if you remember, necessarily in hanging out with mom and dad. So I wanted to go and take this trip while we could, uh, and I'm going to try to take another couple of trips in the next year or so before my boys start to get so old that it's, uh, that it's hard to get them out and about. Certainly when they go off to college, they've got their own uh, responsibilities. And crazily, I'm going to have a kid in college in three years. Um, but it was weird, right? Because I, the, the NCAA tournament is amazing, but I'm following it six hours behind. So a lot of these games I was not able to pay attention to because they weren't tipping off till 2.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. And so I would wake up in Italy, roll over, check my phone, and see how the NCAA tournament bets were going and, uh, and how my bracket was looking and everything else. And uh, the only game that I watched 100% in its entirety 
was Tennessee Duke in the uh, in the round of 32. Uh, but my thoughts in general on the Sweet 16 are, this is what we thought, college basketball. There wasn't that big of a gap between the absolute apex, right, your number one seeds, and certainly we saw that with Purdue losing to Fairleigh Dickinson, but also the lower uh, realm. There just wasn't that much of a difference. And I think it's intriguing when you look right now in real time, I'm going to check, at the title odds that are out here um, in terms of who's going to win the national championship. Bama's the favorite. I think that probably makes sense if you look at their bracket right now. They've got the best route. Uh, Not going to have to play any elite-level teams in order to to keep from going to the Final Four. Then you've got Houston, UCLA. Houston, obviously, the other number one seed, still alive. UCLA, UConn, Creighton, Texas, Tennessee, and Gonzaga – all at 12 to 1 or less. And then Michigan State, Kansas State, you know, the other basically eight teams that are remaining. Um, and, I, you know, look, I'm going to be in New York City. I would like to see Tennessee go to the Final Four for the first time ever. I've also watched Tennessee choke away so many games over the years that I can't even get that excited about the fact that Tennessee's playing a nine seed and theoretically would be favored over everybody remaining in their bracket because I've just seen. Tennessee collapsed so many times in the past. Um, But as you look right now, I still think chaos might happen. It wouldn't stun me if Bama and Houston both lost and didn't even make the round of eight. It wouldn't stun me if we end up with five versus eight or something like that in the national title game. This is as wide open of an NCAA tournament as I can remember in a long time. And I think the odds reflect that right now where nobody is really a very prohibitive favorite. Uh, final thought here, uh, as, uh, as I you know, roll through on this Tuesday edition, I'll be live tomorrow, no shows Thursday or Friday, um, because I'm traveling again. I will be doing a lot of Fox News. I did the Harris Faulkner show earlier today. Um, I'll be on, I think, Hannity tomorrow, Fox and Friends, all, the, all those different things. And then I'm going to be live with Fox News uh, Friday from, uh, from New York City. Um, Fauci, there are documentary, is documentary out there from PBS. Fauci had a camera crew following him around as he tried to convince, uh, DC residents to get the COVID shot. And Fauci, I think, allowed the cameras to be with him because he thought that he was going to be the hero. I am in love with some of the footage that we have already seen which far from showing Fauci as the hero, actually provides further evidence of the things that he got wrong about COVID. And I love one of the gentlemen on the steps there in D.C., who with the mayor there, with Fauci, with the cameras rolling, with an entire health apparatus surrounding him, actually for a couple of minutes gave Fauci more of a challenge when it came to the COVID shot than most of the left-wing media did over the past three years. See, one of the things that gets sold to you is the idea that the media exists to hold powerful people accountable. A lot of times that's not true. In many ways, the media today exists to make powerful people 
even more powerful because they have become propagandist as much or more than they have become true agents of journalism. What I mean by that is no one challenges Fauci by and large. The New York Times, Washington Post, MSNBC, CNN. If you are allowing powerful people the opportunity to speak to your audience without ever challenging them at all, you are not actually journalists. You are propagandists. And that's why it was so incongruous to see this random guy on the steps of a home challenging Fauci directly to his face in a way that almost no one in the media would do at all. I can't wait to watch this documentary because really it's a hagiography. We know PBS is going to give a favorable treatment to Fauci, but on the record with his own camera crews, we already have clips of Fauci being proven to be a liar as it pertains to the COVID shot, which I believe is essentially worthless and which Fauci continues to claim is a science miracle. All right, I love all of you. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. I'll be back with you tomorrow. This has been OutKick, the show.